Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of November 26, 2020, including Phil Spencer talks cloud gaming from your TV, Crossfire X officially got delayed, no one likes a Call of Duty camper, and more. start this week by saying a big happy Thanksgiving to all of those of you listening who celebrate Thanksgiving. This week on Thursday, the 26th of November, I know you Canadians already had your Thanksgiving. I know there's some other parts of the world that have like some version of Thanksgiving. I don't know. It's a big American holiday. It's like this uh, stopgap we do. For those of you who aren't entirely familiar with Thanksgiving, let me explain to you in a way that Maybe it hasn't been made clear to you before because there may be a lot of confusion. If Thanksgiving is not a holiday you celebrated in your country, you might think it's like something about people in weird hats looking like pilgrims and a turkey and Native Americans. Let me explain what Thanksgiving really is. So in the 1970s, Halloween was getting really, really popular. It was a holiday, it was a holiday that generally you know, was like kind of a thing, but not a massive like Christmas scale thing. And it was getting really popular. And companies like Hallmark and Macy's or whoever the fuck cares a lot about the, you know, Christmas holiday shopping season, were starting to get concerned that that uh, Halloween would start eating into the Christmas market because they were looking to expand Christmas from a holiday that runs basically from December 1st through December, you know, 30th to making Christmas this holiday that would span from like, you know, like July 14th through like, you know, like July 14th through, you know, February 30th or whatever, whatever it is they were trying to do with Christmas. So basically a bunch of Native Americans and pilgrims got together and this is like probably 1975-ish and they got together over uh, a turkey dinner, which is completely coincidental. The turkey has literally nothing to do with it. It just happens to be the thing that they were all in the mood for. And so they got together, I think, I believe it was at a Golden Corral. Uh, They had a turkey dinner and they thought, you know, what are we going to do to stop you know, Christmas from continue to expand when we got this new holiday, Halloween, that's just starting to really gain some traction. And how can we make sure that that Christmas's attempt to take over mass holiday appeal doesn't encroach on Halloween? So what they did was they created Thanksgiving, which is this stopgap that's kind of like in between Christmas and Thanksgiving. So the benefit to Thanksgiving is it's very, you know, it's very like happy, what I'm grateful for, good feelings, like Christmassy in that sense that's all about reflecting on what we're happy for and being positive and trying to spread joy and cheer to the world. So in that sense, it's kind of like Christmas. But in the sense that it's still a fall-themed holiday, it's not about snow and bitter coldness. It's about beautiful fall colors, ambers, yellows, uh, oranges, just kind of like you know, fallen leaves and and crisp, beautiful, cool air, but not too cold. And, you know, that kind of aspect kind of pertains more to Halloween. So with this variety of kind of tones and and themes that uh, Thanksgiving encompasses, the pilgrims and the Indians who were trying to stop Christmas from taking over the now ever increasing popular Halloween uh, holiday, were trying to, you know, come up with a perfect holiday to kind of transition from one to the other so that Christmas wouldn't take over all of 
November and then take over all of October, therefore getting in the way of Halloween. So that's why we have Thanksgiving. It's this big old stopgap. Now, for the most part, it seemed to have worked pretty well since the 1970s when it was implemented by the in, by the Native Americans and the pilgrims. But like I said, I mean, as you may have noticed, Christmas does continue to get bigger and bigger. But I think Halloween's tried to combat that by trying to get bigger and bigger as well, which is why you now see, you know, Halloween kind of starting in like April may kind of time of year so that's just a little history on thanksgiving so let me know guys what are you thankful for obviously if i'm just gonna get mushy for a second i'm really thankful that you know despite everything that's happened this year despite you know all the times people said you know wear the mask we gotta stop the spread you know this person that person needs to win the election all the things that gone the way you know all the sad celebrity deaths and the you know the people who have just, you know, been affected negatively by this year, you know, economic downturn and just things like that, that despite all of these factors at play, I'm really thankful that Chuck E. Cheese Entertainment uh, has been able to pull through and survive this really tumultuous year. And uh, that's what I'm thankful for. But let me know in the comments, guys, what is something you're thankful for this year? Obviously, it's a big year with the Series X. So maybe you have something you're thankful for. I'd love to hear about it. Now, with all that out of the way, this is an Xbox podcast. I think we should talk some Xbox. Before we jump into your comments in the regular run of show, I want to mention or acknowledge this story that's been floating around a lot this week that Tom Warren from The Verge kind of, ex- not exacerbated, but, you know, brought brought some more weight to. So let me stop being vague. So obviously, you may if you exist and you're an Xbox fan, you've been on the internet, you've probably seen a lot of reporting and in tweets and shit like that about how despite Xbox Series X being a more powerful console than PS5, there have been all these examples, especially from this... Uh, uh, Digital Foundry video that are showing that some games like like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, for example, are actually performing better on the PS5 than the Series X, despite the fact that Series X has more raw power than PS5. And, you know, the internet's been lit on fire about this. It's been a whole, you know, oh, well, teraflops, what are the teraflops doing for you now, you stupid Xbox? Oh, why don't you go ask your lord and savior Craig to come and save you? PS5 is going to give it to you because on PlayStation 5, we got... Uh, we've got that where we, we don't focus on old hardware. We focus on new games only, which is why the new horizon and God of war are going to be on PS4. Uh, we're so cool. It's not like all this shit's the same. And so it's become a whole thing and people are fighting about it. At first I was like, oh, okay, well this is a story. So let's talk about this. And then I was like, you know what? This sounds like fan, like console war fanboy fuel. And I don't want to talk about that. But then Tom Warren with The Verge, the, the guy who works at The Verge, popular tech site, wrote this whole article where he, he spoke with a lot of uh, developers who work on games for Xbox Series X and PS5. And he even got a statement from Microsoft kind of about the whole thing, putting together, you know, the whole, well, yeah, we know Xbox is more powerful, but PS5 is getting some better performance in some cases. What's going on here? It looks like the overclocked nature of the PS5 is helping a lot of these games seem to run in tip-top shape. And remember, obviously, I'm not the techie guy, so uh, pardon me if I sound a little uh, just stupid here, but I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to just you know quickly gloss through what's happening. But basically what this article goes into and with all these quotes he has from developers, it seems like a lot of what's happening is a lot of people, a lot of developers got 
access to Xbox dev kits a little later than PlayStation, and that most of what you're seeing here with performance gaps where PlayStation 5 is actually outperforming Series X, mostly just has to do with things like optimization, and that these are mostly easy fixes that developers are currently working on. So we already know Ubisoft is working on Assassin's Creed. They're aware of that, and that's something they're doing. Microsoft has already said that they're aware of these problems, and they're working with partners. And Codemasters, developer of Dirt 5, have already acknowledged as well that this is happening and that they're working on updates for the Series X version of Dirt 5 to address this. So it seems like this is all really temporary stuff, and this is a mostly a, a nonsense story that's like a thing that's happening here and now but will be fixed soon. Um I don't know. To me, it's like we see this at the beginning of any every generation where it's like these my these insane arguments over minute details and differences between consoles or third party games on, on the different consoles. And it's just kind of mind numbing and stupid because it's like obviously developers are just getting used to the new hardware. We haven't really seen people take advantage of anything yet. So I don't really personally give a shit. I don't see this as like Microsoft is lying and Xbox isn't as powerful as they said it was. I see this as like. Yeah, there's probably some optimization issues. I, I'm I'm sure developers had maybe more time with PlayStation Five dev kits than Xbox dev kits, or maybe you know there's just more of an of a a pressure and an emphasis on getting the PlayStation version more you know polished out the door first because it, you know if you're on a limited development schedule and you're in a time crunch, you know you're going to focus on the SKU that's the most popular, like the PlayStation version, that's just always going to sell better because everyone buys PlayStation because it's the one you got to buy. It's the iPhone of video game machines. So again, I don't I don't know exactly what the answer is and I don't want to excuse make for Xbox, but I assume most of what we're seeing here is stuff like that and that within a year you won't see this be a problem at all. In fact, I'm very confident Xbox Series X is more powerful and games will perform better on Series X in the long run as we see the console generation kind of work itself out as people get more familiar with developing for these two platforms. But for the time being, I, I had to acknowledge this, mostly because Xbox does issue a, or did issue a statement to The Verge after this article was ran. They said, they said here, here's quote what they said, we are aware of performance issues uh, in a handful of optimized titles on Xbox Series X and S and are actively working with our partners to identify and resolve the issues to ensure an optimal experience. As we begin a new console generation, our partners are just now scratching the surface of what our next-gen consoles can do and minor bug fixes are expected as they learn how to take full advantage of our new platforms uh, we are eager to, to continue working with developers to further explore the capabilities of series x and x in the future so obviously a very pr and statement that doesn't say a whole lot but also kind of just alludes to exactly what i was assuming anyway which is a lot of this is just optimization new hardware kind of shit i i don't i don't really know what else to say to this this is another one of those like if you believed everything you read on Twitter, you would think the world is like literally burning at all times and it's just not the case. Um, so yeah, I'm I, here. It is. Here's me bringing up and acknowledging that this is happening. This is not me skipping over a big news story, uh, but this is also me saying chill the fuck out. I promise you by like March or, or June or something. Once developers are, pretty comfortable developing for these things you're going to see that xbox versions of third-party games or multi-platform games generally look and run better than playstation versions and that no matter which version you're playing on they're both pretty decent so all right so with that said we will jump into our comments for the week comments shout outs everything which come from youtube if you want to leave a comment on xbox on you can go to youtube.com look up second best gaming that is my youtube profile there you will find the playlist for the xbox on podcast just click on the latest episode and leave a comment and i will more than likely read it on the show because 
Uh, let's be honest. I'm not. I, I don't. I don't have that many options for comments to read through. You think? I, you think I think you're special? No, I just read your comments because no one else is talking. Dumb bitch. So our first comment comes from Joe Murphy, who says, "So I was an old gamer back in the late '80s and through the early '90s, from Atari to NES to Sega games. I stopped following games and playing games. I'm getting back into it." And what I've seen and heard about all the different gaming consoles, Xbox Game Pass made up my mind to want the new to want to get the new Xbox Series X, which I still can't get my hands on. Uh, so I play a lot of Xbox Game Pass on my cell phone and tablet. Uh, I really like your show and what you have to chat about. Sorry for the long message. No, don't be sorry at all, Joe. I, I appreciate you riding in. Welcome to the show. And I'm, I hope that you were able to get your hands on a Series X sooner rather than later. And in the meantime... How awesome is it that you can still enjoy Xbox without owning an Xbox thanks to the power of the cloud? So, I mean, that's that is a as someone who doesn't use xCloud a lot and says this is really cool technology that's for someone other than me. This is a perfect use case. I, I like Xbox. I want the new Xbox. I can't get my hands on it because it's sold out everywhere. At least I'm not without Xbox in the meantime because I can stream shit from my phone. That's a pretty awesome example of, of what makes Project X Cloud such a compelling and just convenient way to play games. So thank you for writing in there. Badass Lord Tipsy says, this was the wrong episode to start taking a shot every time Jesse said a curse word. Damn right, Badass Lord Tipsy. I hope this is, you're getting an alcohol poisoning now and I, I don't even feel sorry for it. Fuck, peanut butter, titties, ass, penis, uh, shit, dick. There, now you're drunk. All right, Jay comments in and says, that was the best breakdown of an Xbox controller I've ever heard. Has got me even more excited for the day when my Series X arrives because I want to be a little princess too. Uh, well, Jay, I'm, I'm sorry that you still don't have your Series X, but of course you know you're always a little princess to me and all of us here at Xbox On. My brother says, mad cause bad. Call of Duty sucks. Fortnite is better, and that's not even a joke. It requires infinitely more skill, and it doesn't always come down to the first person to see the other wins. Think of that the next time you play Cold War. Well, as much as I disagree with you because I just enjoy Call of Duty more, and maybe that's just because I was in middle school, high school during the peak Call of Duty years, and when Fortnite hit the scene, I was way past the age range that seems to be really into Fortnite. But personally, I, I vastly prefer Call of Duty, although I understand what you're saying, that Fortnite requires actual skill and, and more, you know, coordination and, and thought, and it's just a more thoughtful game from a mechanic standpoint. Sure. Doesn't mean I don't enjoy Call of Duty more, even though, yes, Call of Duty sucks because the players are awful. Now, Mr. Miggy says, I sadly was unsuccessful in getting my Series X, even after my backup, which was a new PC part, uh, was unsuccessful. Seems everything that's new in gaming hardware is just being taken by scalpers. Also, I wanted to add, I do wish the Series X controller had haptic feedback and adaptive triggers, like the DualSense controller on PS5. It's not enough to make me want to switch, just something that would have been nice to have. Well, I completely agree with that as well. I, I don't know if I've said it on the podcast or if I just maybe said it on Twitter or something, but I haven't held a DualSense controller yet, and I really wish I really wish I had the opportunity to try it out because I'm extremely interested in that adaptive triggers stuff. Now, so, for, well, first of all, I'm sorry that you still don't have your Series X, man, and I'm sorry that your PC parts, which I assume you're talking about 3080 Ti or whatever that new graphics card is, I'm, I'm sorry, I hope 
one of the two, preferably the Series X, falls into your lap sooner rather than later. But to get into the rest of your comment there, yeah, I think this has become one of those like console war stupid conversations where people are like, you know, I feel like Xbox fans are like, well, the Series X controller looks the same as the One controller because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It was already the perfect controller. That's why they didn't change it. PlayStation had to change their controller because the PS4 controller is so stupid and shitty that they had to update it to try and get closer to where Xbox is already at. So a part of me wants to agree with that fanboy statement because I agree the Xbox controller was way better than the DualShock 4. But let's be honest, like the DualShock 4 is a usable controller. It's just not as good as Xbox One's controller. And then the DualSense controller is... Is actually pretty damn cool so i don't know I, I see a lot of that kind of shit being thrown around with like xbox fans trying to defend the fact that the series x controller isn't like a massive overhaul let's be honest multiple things can be true at once yes the xbox one controller was practically perfect in every single way like mary poppins style yes they made minor improvements that do make it feel a little bit different like it's technically a little smaller the d-pad's a little better they added more grip to it all these things that make it more appealing and yes despite it still being a perfect controller and being like just the premier way to play games, it is a little bit disappointed that the Xbox Series X controller isn't a major overhaul. Not because we, you know, we need them to try and potentially ruin a great thing they already have, but there is something that feels super exciting and fun about new, you know, and that, that is something the DualSense offers, regardless of how you feel about it. That's just, that's just undoubtedly exciting. It looks new. It feels new. It's different from the last thing. That's an exciting thing, regardless of whether or not it's better or worse. Or I, I think that's something we can all give credit to, right? So, I don't know. I, I don't personally think Xbox needed to change their controller all that much, but it, it would have been more exciting if they had something like this. And as a lapsed Nintendo fan, let me be the first to say, I don't see stuff like adaptive triggers and haptic feedback as, like, gimmicky shit. I see this as, like... Like, really cool and really innovative, and I would love to see Xbox totally ape this and put it in, like, a, a Generation 2 Xbox Series X controller or, like, an Xbox Elite controller version 3. Like, I would love this shit because I don't look at this shit as gimmicky. I'm someone who loved the Wii. Remember, Rumble was once a gimmicky feature. When, like, N64 and, and PlayStation shit started adding, like, Rumble to their controllers, that was considered a gimmicky feature. So, remember, like... It's only a gimmick if it doesn't work. I, I personally don't think developers will really take advantage of the dual senses features, but I hope they do because I would love to see this become, you know, more of like a standard thing and then see Xbox and Nintendo have to adopt it. But uh, I don't know. I just I the dual senses features are something I'm kind of jealous of, and I'm not going to pretend to be one of those Xbox fans that just hates it because it's PlayStation. So whatever. Mavs man comes in and says. And I apologize for missing my food comment last week, but I'll more than make up for it this week. Hot damn, there is a new king of the chicken sandwich. But you say chicken sandwich. I see what you did there. You say, I know you try and, st and, and stick away from regional brands, but the new Whataburger spicy chicken sandwich takes the crown as best. Updates top... All right, updated top five spicy chicken sandwich power ranking. Number five, you put Chick-fil-A. You say unpopular opinion, but this is... this place is overpriced trash damn that's a hot take number four jack in the box's chicken sandwich number three wendy's i know your hatred for the place but make but they make a damn fine spicy chicken sandwich number two popeyes and number one whataburger that's a that's a no pun intended that is a spicy list my dude i want to clear up a couple things here first of all i don't i don't hate regional stuff i mean I, I i would love to try whataburger i love regional restaurants i just try to trick stick to brands that i know a lot of the audience will be able to identify with so that 
more people feel included. Like they can, you know, even though you might just be here for the Xbox talk and you don't want to hear me rant about fast food, I would at least like for the fast food rants to be something you can get a grasp for or an understanding of. So when I pick a brand like McDonald's, I'm confident that the audience pretty much knows unanimously what I'm talking about. But if we talk about something like Whataburger or Jack in the Box, you know, then then you start losing people. Not only is it like specific to a, to one country, but then you're also getting specific to a, to a region of the country. So that's the only thing there. I love regional restaurants. I've always wanted to try Whataburger. I believe they're, they're from Texas, right? But here, here's a fun fact about Whataburger is they actually have a location here in Florida, but it's like very far from where I live, Florida. It's like meant, it's like hours from here. So yeah, that makes me sad because I would really love to try them. But I'll take your word for it. I'm sure it's a great chicken sandwich. Now, you put the Popeye's chicken sandwich at the number two spot. Listen, I'm not going to get up in arms about what deserves the number one spot. I'm just going to be grateful that you put Popeye's in the top three. Popeye's chicken sandwich is one of those really rare instances of when, like, the world blew up about some new trend. And they were all super high on it. And they just weren't wrong about it. Like, the Popeye's chicken sandwich really is one of the all-time great chicken sandwiches, and I think number two is a really respectable place for it. Now, Wendy's, you say I hate Wendy's. I know I try to have this, like, this, like, this, like, cool facade. I want you guys to think I'm cool. I try to hate on Wendy's. It's part of my image. If I'm being painfully honest, I don't hate Wendy's. I, I, I go to Wendy's more than I like to admit. There are times where Wendy's will have menu items that I even like, I'm just, it's just never my go-to. Like, if I'm in the mood for a fast food burger, Wendy's is not number one on the list. It's not number two on the list. It's not number three on the list. It's just kind of down there. So, it's just not, it's just not a place I go to very often. But, you know, I can deal with it. I, I like the 4 for 4 I like some of their, like, their higher-end sandwiches they do. Like, their really fancy chicken sandwiches they do. Um, the junior bacon cheeseburger is a nice value menu item. So there's some, and, and, oh, their creamy sriracha sauce is pretty good. So there's some love for Wendy's in my heart. Actually, their breakfast menu is pretty decent as well. Uh, I'm just not overall a huge Wendy's fan. Now, Jack in the Box, I wish I could try them. I've never had them. I went to California once in my life. I, I did a one week trip to California and I told myself we are going to have In-N-Out Burger when we go to, to California, maybe Jack in the Box if it's not too far out of the way. And then it just didn't happen. I spent the whole fucking week at Disneyland. I, I didn't leave Disneyland. I said, fuck you, California. I know you're full of just a bunch of liberal Hollywood washouts. I, ju- I just want Disney. And that's it. And and I, I have a lot of regret for not trying Jack in the Box and In-N-Out and all that. But I, I just didn't do it when I was there. The one time I went to California. Now, Chick-fil-A at number five. You say unpopular opinion. I'm going to agree with you, man. I I like Chick-fil-A just fine. I don't think their food is trash, as you say, but I agree that Chick-fil-A is so vastly overrated. And now, listen, listen, just like how I said, you know, Pepsi's better than Coke. Don't tell me right from wrong here. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, the home of Coca-Cola. And I'm telling you, Pepsi's better than Coke. Same thing, man. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, the home, well, not Atlanta, but Chick-fil-A is not from Atlanta exactly, but Chick-fil-A is from Georgia. I am from the home home place of Chick-fil-A, okay? I remember growing up eating Chick-fil-A when Chick-fil-A was a very regional restaurant. I remember Chick-fil-A where you couldn't get it in the Northeast. You couldn't get it on the West Coast. You couldn't get it in the Midwest. Chick-fil-A was pretty much Georgia exclusively with a couple locations. I remember when it was, like, rare to find a Chick-fil-A in, like, Florida or, like, the Carolinas. Like, Chick-fil-A was a 
Georgia-specific restaurant. I'm from the birth... I grew up on Chick-fil-A. And I've got to be honest, the first time you have Chick-fil-A, it really is a life-changing experience. It really is the fast food restaurant that's like, holy fuck, this is amazing. But I feel like I've eaten enough Chick-fil-A for a whole lifetime. Like, I, I never crave Chick-fil-A anymore, just ever. You know, from, from a young age through high school, I just ate so much Chick-fil-A. And I'm at a point in my life now where, like, it's just never my go-to. I never crave Chick-fil-A. I rarely ever eat it. And I, I listen to the basic bitches, you know, go on and on, just drone on and on about Chick-fil-A and Starbucks and iPhone and all the, the brands that you, you got to have in order to be a certified basic bitch. And I just, I just can't understand for the life of me why Chick-fil-A. It's like, it's like Chick-fil-A is popular because it's established itself as the fast food restaurant for a chicken sandwich. You know, you talk about Wendy's or Jack in the Box or Whataburger. The chicken sandwich is secondary to the cheeseburger. And then you talk about Popeye's and it's like, well, they're new to the chicken sandwich game. And, and they're more of like a boned in chicken place. They're more about like breast and thigh and wing and sides, like, like a KFC and less of like, you know, and less of like a chicken sandwich kind of place. So, these are places that do the, the the chicken sandwich secondary, whereas Chick-fil-A is all about. It's the chicken sandwich front and center. You can't even get beef on that goddamn menu. And I think that's so much of why they win is because they've established themselves as like the definitive place for the chicken sandwich. And and don't get me wrong, Chick-fil-A has that McDonald's thing where it's like you can say what you want about whether or not you like Chick-fil-A, but there's no denying that Chick-fil-A tastes like Chick-fil-A and nothing else. Like there's no other place in the world that tastes like Chick-fil-A. You know, whereas Wendy's, the chicken sandwich is pretty damn good, but I've had other chicken sandwiches that taste relatively close to a Wendy's chicken sandwich. So that's a unique pro for Chick-fil-A. I just, I agree with you. I I think they're a little overrated. They're definitely overpriced. And I really, my biggest gripe with Chick-fil-A, more than anything food-related, my biggest gripe with Chick-fil-A is how nice they are to you. I fucking hate businesses that are obsessed with, like, kill them with kindness level of customer service. I hate going into a fast food restaurant knowing like, you know, it's like 1.30 in the afternoon and you woke up late on this day and you're in a Chick-fil-A. That's basically like admitting to admitting to yourself like, hey, I'm giving, like I'm throwing in the, the flag for the day. Like this is me saying this day is a complete wash. Tomorrow I might try to be a productive member of society. Yesterday I may have had a good day. Today is a complete fucking wash of a day. I'm going to Chick-fil-A so I can get a cookies and cream milkshake, two Chick-fil-A sandwiches. One of them might even be a deluxe sandwich. I'm going to get a large fry, some Chick-fil-A sauce to drown it in, and throw some mayo on those sandwiches as well. Like, this is you saying, I'm going to be a useless sack of shit to society today. I just want to get in and get out. I don't want to be recognized. I don't want to be treated like special or anything but you go into a chick-fil-a and they just gotta like smile at you and be like my pleasure nothing makes me more uncomfortable than when someone says uh, can i get you any sauce and you're like yeah can i have a pack of chick-fil-a sauce and they go my pleasure why the fuck is this 17 year old high school girl being pleasured by the thought of me requesting chick-fil-a sauce from her like, over-the-counter. Like, that's fucking weird. And that's what I really hate about Chick-fil-A is I don't want someone to be pleasured by my fast food order. I don't want someone to, like, smile while they're, while they're working their dead-end minimum wage job and, and secretly wishing for death inside. Like, I don't want that. I don't want to be sitting down at a table in a fast food restaurant and then for someone who makes, like, eight twenty five an hour to walk up to me and be like, can I get you a refill? I'm like, oh, my God, fuck off. 
It's like, I don't want you to have to put in the work for this place. Like this place hasn't earned that reputation. This place doesn't pay you well enough to put in that effort. And I didn't come here to be treated like a king. I came here to shamefully eat 4,000 calories in one meal. Like, leave me the fuck alone. So that's my gripe with Chick-fil-A on top of their food just being a little overrated, but they're not bad by any means. I I think there's a time and place for Chick-fil-A. They are definitely a drive-through over dine-in restaurant for me because I fucking hate the overly kind uh, kind of customer service they do. But thank you for writing in. Very wonderful question. I'm glad we could get some fast food talking here. Now, back to video games. Joe Murphy says, love your podcast. So today on November 22nd, I was able to buy my Xbox Series X from Best Buy. Very happy and cannot wait to get it here on the 27th. So, hey, update. Looks like you did get your Series X. So congrats for you. Uh, by the time you're reading this, you may or may not have it in the mail or you may be just about to get it. I don't know how early you listen to the show when it goes up, but congratulations on your series x i hope it is good to you as mine has been good to me and you also say wendy's spicy nuggets are the best from fast food and taco bell is pissing me off by taking away all the old good stuff from their menu well joe i think we can definitely agree on that that is the most upsetting thing about taco bell is their insistence on like putting amazing items on the menu and then taking them away and replacing them with slightly less amazing items that aren't what you're looking for, but Taco Bell works in mysterious ways. And I don't think it's our, our position. I don't think it's our right to question their authority. I think it is a privilege that we have Taco Bell in our communities and that we should just be grateful uh, for whatever it is they have to serve us with and, or whatever food it is they have to serve us. And so I try to be mindful of that when I'm at the, when I'm at the ordering board at the drive-thru thinking about what I want to eat when I go, wow, I was here three days ago and literally everything on this fucking menu was different. What did you fucking do in like 72 hours? Like you fucking crazy fiends. But Lethal Migraine says, I only play Tetris Effect. It's ridiculously good, great music, great visuals, so many modes. Lethal Migraine, I'll give you that. Tetris Effect is beautiful. I've admittedly only played it for like 20, 30 minutes. But man, one night, one of the first nights I got the Series X, one night I, I booted it up and I just like... I installed these LED lights on the back of my TV about a month ago around Halloween time. And like, you can use this app on your phone to like control the lights, control the settings and everything. And so like what I love to do at night is turn off all the lights in our apartment and just have the T the, the, the LEDs on the back of the TV on. And then of course the video game. And so the only light in the whole apartment is just coming from the TV from the front and the back. And like you turn on Tetris effect and you get like your beautiful ambient lighting from the LEDs on the back of your TV. Plus the game is so visually beautiful and and just sounds so beautiful. And like, that's an experience like Tetris effect at night, completely dark, just some LEDs and some really nice music. Like that's a, that's a fun game. So I'll give you that. It's a, that's a, that's one game on the Series X everyone should be playing. And it is Series X enhanced, so it is a vi- visually stunning game to look at, despite the fact that it's Tetris. Like, trust me. Uh, now, a couple comments about Call of Duty from last week, our, our Call of Duty ranting. Andy Crawley says, You're so right, Jesse, about campers. I also love Halo. You make work tolerable. Keep up the effort. Your podcasts are entertaining. I work at Chrysler in, in Windsor. Uh, just an assembler, but it pays for gaming. Well, thank you for commenting in, Andy. I appreciate your I appreciate you writing in. I appreciate your kindness. I guess that wasn't really a Call of Duty comment. You just mentioned Call of Duty for like a couple words. But yeah, you say you hate Call of Duty campers. I'm with you there. You love Halo. I'm with you there. 
you make work tolerable. Hey, I appreciate that actually means a lot. So I appreciate that you listen to the show, uh, blah, blah, blah. Hey, but you work at Chrysler, you make automobiles. I think that's actually pretty badass. I love cars. I'm also in the automotive industry. So I, uh, I will be bonding with you. I'm mentally fist bumping you uh, over that commonality. Thank you for writing in, Andy. Now, Count Scottula comes in with a sexy-ass long comment here. He says, great topics. 120 hertz. I echo your feelings on uh, 120 FPS gaming. Really need games to tie directly to Xbox display settings to remember your preference. Call of Duty, on point rant. I don't have anything to add to this. I haven't played the campaign yet, but just like all Call of Duties before it, it's already losing my interest. Eh, I don't blame you there. Now, in regards to Xbox's quote that they have more new players on Series X, I read that as as new to Xbox ecosystem versus returning existing gamers. Hard to say, though. These stats are so ambiguous by design. Uh, As for Bethesda, I'm sticking to my guns that existing games will still be supported and that new games, especially brand new like Starfield, will be Xbox exclusives. Bill's comment about providing games on other consoles that do not support Game Pass is not being not sustainable. Uh, told me all I need to know. I'll accept your apology after next year's E3-ish type thing since E3 isn't really a thing anymore. And lastly, Halo. I was convinced it was a spring release, but I can see it either way now. Uh, I lean more towards a spring or flighting slash beta program in the spring. It doesn't change the optics that Xbox has not announced another single first-party AAA game for 2021. I can already picture the memes on Twitter. If they're going to release it that late, it cannot be anything short of transformative of an experience, which I'm worried sets them up for a failure no matter how good the graphics get. And I think, as for Halo, I think that's exactly what the concern is, right? It's it's not about how visually stunning they make things look, because I think they'll also really turn the visuals around. I think that's the problem is from from the regardless of what they do, I don't think it's going to light the world on fire what they turn Halo into from a gameplay perspective. And even if all the pieces to the puzzle are there, I don't think gamers and games media will allow it to be transformative much in the way that like games like Zelda Breath of the Wild are like pretty good and nice and evolutionary for that specific franchise, but not so much gaming as a whole. I think, you know, they'll kind of do a similar thing with Halo, but in the opposite direction where, like, they could make Halo the most transformative experience of all time, and IGN will just continue to talk about fucking PlayStation 5 the week Halo Infinite comes out, and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, PlayStation 5 has a a feature where you can uh, wipe your asshole with the controller, and it will smell like your shit. Um, So I I don't know. I shit on IGN so much, but I actually really like them. But thank you for writing in with that. Uh, Lethal Migraine says, you need to stop talking about ZeniMax and so does Xbox. They legally can't say what their plans are until the sale is complete. The story isn't a story, and it is generally just a waste of time. Also, there is no evidence you're right. He specifically said that the whole idea is to grow Game Pass. Yes, but again, this is a completely no this is the CFO. This is the guy, this is the guy whose job it is. These these comments about Zenimax from last week are coming from the CFO, the guy whose job it is to make sure that regardless of what the projects are in the works at Xbox, that these things are profitable, that they're making money, that they're in the best interest of the business from a financial standpoint, which at the end of the day is the most important aspect of any business. So again, when I, I know nothing's set in stone yet because the sale isn't even complete, completed yet and because it seems like Microsoft clearly hasn't made some finalized decisions and Bethesda still has a lot of talks to go through with Microsoft, but... When your CFO, someone who never speaks out, starts to speak on this deal and basically say things that are like just blatantly like these games will be on PlayStation, you can't help but wonder what the fucking plan is. So 
and I, I only understand this relationship so well because I'm such a big fan of the Walt Disney Company, and you know, just a, a little like analog for this com- this idea. You know, anyone who knows anything about like Disney or Walt Disney Company history knows that you know back in the days when Walt Disney was alive, he was more of like the idea maker. He always had you know, visions and dreams and ideas for things he wanted to do. And he was always, you know, requesting from his, from his people, like just crazy shit. Like, like, like this is where I'm going to build a mountain here. I'm going to build a fucking city of tomorrow here. You know, just all this stupid shit he wanted to do. That's like, what do you talk? We can't logistically do that. This is the kind of company we are. We don't make things like this. We can't afford this, blah, 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 blah. And Walt Disney's thing was always like, I don't care. I want it. I want it. I want it. And Walt Disney's brother, his older brother, Roy Disney, was the one who was like the money guy. And his job was basically to always be like, okay, Walt, so my job is to mediate between you, the crazy mad genius, and everyone else in the company who's like the people who have to make this shit happen. And the reality is, we're here, we gotta make money, we can't just be spending money we don't have, like, I'm gonna try to get you what you want while also being realistic and not putting the company under and not, you know, asking too much of our of our people to do things that they can't actually do and that's kind of like the dynamic Walt Disney and his brother had where one was the crazy mad genius who had all the inspiration aspirational ideas and the other was the guy who had to bring him constantly kind of pull his brother down to reality and be like but money and so why do I bring up that example because that's kind of how I see this it's like it doesn't matter what Phil Spencer or Todd Howard or anyone says about what they want to do or what's best for Xbox or when I think about Game Pass and supporting the service like I don't care about any of that. Phil Spencer and Todd Howard and all these guys can talk until the fucking cows come home, but you got to have someone like the fucking CFO of the company be the guy who's like pulling Spencer down saying, listen, man, listen, man, we just spent $7 billion fucking dollars on ZeniMax. We got to make this money back. How the fuck are we going to make this money back without putting these games on PlayStation? And so it's not about what's best for the gamers or the fanboys or what Phil Spencer wants or what he thinks might be a good idea. At the end of the day, it's like, how are we going to recoup the costs of this purchase and continue to make this a very profitable acquisition for us? And just like they did with Minecraft, I think that solution has a lot to do with keeping these games on PlayStation. And that's why last week's conversation was all about games being better or best or first on Xbox is because they're still going to be on PlayStation. We just got to find a way to make them feel authentically Xbox or more premier on Xbox because, yes, Xbox does own these brands now, but they are not taking them away from anyone. And that's that's just how I read this. But again, it's like you can say all you want about Microsoft so powerful. Microsoft has so much money. They can do whatever they want. They can wipe their ass with a trillion dollars tomorrow if they want to. I don't care what you had to say in that regard. The reality is that's not how businesses operate. Microsoft could do a lot of fucking things with their money. Microsoft could buy the state of Nebraska and turn it into a fucking water park, which is an awful idea because Nebraska gets very cold for a lot of parts of the for a lot of time of the year. They could do that if they wanted to because they have the money and the power to do that. They're not going to do that. So don't talk to me about what Microsoft has for money or what they can do. It's about what they're going to do. They are a smart business that has grown and succeeded and weathered lots of difficult times because they they have smart financial people who tell them what they need to do in order to continue to be profitable and financially successful. And in this instance, being financially successful, being profitable, recouping the money they just spent on ZeniMax involves continuing to sell these games for $70 on Sony's platform because Sony sells way more consoles than Microsoft because stupid people who buy 
PlayStation are going to say, yeah, I'll buy this game for $70 on PlayStation when I could just get it for free on Xbox. And Microsoft looks at those customers and says, you fucking beautiful geniuses. I love that you're willing to pay $70 for a free video game. Thank you. And so I don't think Microsoft's going to leave that money on the table. I know we're not supposed to keep talking about this. I know Lethal Migraine a few weeks ago I said we weren't going to talk about this until we had official news because it's all conjecture and just hypotheticals until we get official word. But man, when the CFO comes out and says the things he said last week, I don't know how you can justify this any other way. Just just saying. Again, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong if I'm going to be wrong about this. But like I said, I, 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 I chose my path. I got to stick to it. I'm always going to find a way to justify this conversation or this side of my, this argument, uh, regardless of, of what of how things look. And, and right now, I think things are looking a little bit in my favor, but uh, whatever. Lastly, Mavsman comes in with our final comment of the week and says, this isn't that hard for Marvel in regards to the whole Marvel's Avengers not doing as well as we thought it would do. Uh, you say, it's been over a year and a half since Ultimate Alliance 3 dropped exclusively for Nintendo Switch, ported it over to Xbox, ported it over to PlayStation. If they want to upgrade the graphics, that's fine, but a straight port will suffice. Throw in the DLC and bam, you got a cash cow. Mavs, man, I I wanted to agree with you on this until I did a little more digging. It looks like Marvel Ultimate Alliance actually didn't do so well on Nintendo Switch. And that's a crazy thing to think about because, one, it's Marvel, and it came out during, like, Avengers Endgame time. And, two, it's on Nintendo Switch exclusively, which is the console where people are so desperate to blow $60 on these shitty games that they're willing to buy games like ARMS, 1-2-Switch, uh, all the Mario's remade, but not really remade. They're just ported in $60 and you can only buy it for four months and then you're fucked. Like this is that console where that kind of shit happens left and right and people gobble it up constantly. So the fact that Marvel's ultimate Alliance three didn't do extremely well on Nintendo switch is actually kind of concerning. I don't know. Maybe that was the harbinger of things to come when, <laughs> when you look at Marvel's uh, Marvel's Avengers on Xbox and PlayStation because there's no reason why that game shouldn't have done great. Now, as for why it won't come to other consoles, I think that's because Nintendo published the game. I Now, I don't know the extent to how that works. I don't know if they only publish it for Nintendo or if they, like, helped fund the game and therefore it just won't come to other platforms. But Nintendo published that game, so at least for the foreseeable future, it's unlikely that it could, it could be ported to other platforms. And if Nintendo ever put any money into the development, if they, if they did more than just the standard publishing deal, like if they contributed money to the development of that game, it's pretty much a guarantee. You'll never see that off a Nintendo platform because Nintendo, Nintendo's no Xbox. They don't play nice like that. If they, if they give you money, they want that shit for good. It's like Bayonetta, you know, now that Bayonetta, it has a relationship with Nintendo. Don't ever expect to see Bayonetta anywhere else ever again. Like that's just how this works. So, all right, that's going to do it for all of our comments and everything of the that's going to do it for all of our comments and everything of the week. Remember, guys, for next week, don't don't be shy. Reply. And now, before we get into the news, I'll tell you all about what I've been playing this week. But before I can tell you about that, got to tell you all about what I've been eating. So this past week, I've been on a little bit of a, you know, in the, in the Thanksgiving spirit, I've been on a little bit of a Thanksgiving kick. So my girlfriend and I went to Disney Springs this past weekend which is like the Disney, it's this place at Disney World, whatever, has a bunch of shop shops and restaurants and stuff. We went to this place called Earl of Sandwich. Uh, some of you may, some of you may be familiar with it. It's a, uh, it's like a sandwich restaurant from the owners and operators of Planet Hollywood, which is another like fun, wacky, tacky themed restaurant experience. Uh, but Earl of Sandwich is like this pretty, pretty awesome, like um, 
quick service sandwich restaurant, hot sandwiches, uh, kind of like a witch witch or something like that. If you've ever been to someplace like of that ilk. Um, but anyway, we went there to get their, their famous, I I've been there once before, but I've never tried their Thanksgiving sandwich. They have this sandwich they do. They sell it year round actually, but it's a Thanksgiving sandwich basically where it's like a, it's like a toasted sandwich with like Turkey stuffing, cranberry sauce, mayonnaise, I think mashed potatoes and, and cheese. It just has like all this shit on it. That's basically like Thanksgiving on a, on a, on a toasted sandwich. And, you know, people always, it's one of those things like pe- Disney people always talk about how good this place is, how good this, this sandwich is. And it's like one of those like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's fine. Um, but my girlfriend and I finally decided to give it a try. It's a nice, affordable place to eat at Disney World. We figured, what the fuck, let's give it a try. I- I'm not going to lie. I was blown away by this sandwich. This sandwich was actually, like, incredible. It was it was very, very good. And uh, for like eight bucks, yeah, I cannot I cannot complain. This was a, a phenomenal sandwich and it immediately got me in the Thanksgiving mood. So the next night on Saturday night, I was like, I wanna keep I wanna keep the Thanksgiving sandwich train rolling. Let's see what else. So I took out my Disney app. I was looking around to see what other kind of like Thanksgiving holiday specials or special menu items were going around at Walt Disney World at, at various restaurants. And it looks like one of the resorts has a bakery there's a bakery at one of the resorts that has a thanksgiving or holiday limited time menu item and it was another thanksgiving sandwich it was like this ciabatta roll with like turkey and stuffing and cranberry sauce i was like okay let's do it so the second night of the weekend we go out to disney's boardwalk resort we go over to the boardwalk bakery restaurant and we get their thanksgiving sandwich and it was also pretty damn good it's not as good as the one from earl of sandwich from the night before but this sandwich was very, very delicious, and my girlfriend actually didn't like it. So this one I actually had to do all by myself, but that that's not a problem for me. I've, I've overcome bigger obstacles, so I managed all by myself, and it was a delicious uh, 10 inches of Thanksgiving in my tummy. So that happened, and then a few days later, I was on YouTube watching one of my... A new guilty pleasure of mine, a new a new YouTube channel I've been watching a lot of lately, which is uh, The Company Man. It's this channel where like this guy does like all these kind of like little overviews of, co- of companies like big chain restaurants and stores that many are familiar with, kind of like the rise and fall of like how this company was founded, that time it went out of business or almost went out of business and kind of like the history of it. And it's just, it's a fun YouTube channel to watch. Um, and I was watching his episode on Quiznos, the sandwich restaurant. And it reminded me like, fuck, I haven't thought about Quiznos in years. So I whipped out the Google Maps and I said, Google, where the fuck is Quiznos here in Florida? Do we have Quiznos? It looks like there used to be a billion restaurants or locations for Quiznos sandwiches here in Central Florida, but they've mostly all closed permanently in the past year or two. So unfortunately, they're no longer here, but I did find one that's like about an hour away closer to Tampa, and I looked it up, and they're still open. They're operating. I was like, hmm, maybe one day I'll have to make the trek out to eat at the Quiznos that's like about an hour away from me. And then I looked closer at the menu and realized, holy fuck, they have a limited time option Thanksgiving sandwich. And I thought, well, this has to be done. So now I'm like pretty adamant that I have to go to Quiznos as soon as possible and try this Thanksgiving sandwich they do compared to the ones I had at Disney. And just, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's like my thing now. I got to eat these turkey cranberry stuffing mayonnaise whatever sandwiches that all these different sandwich restaurants have to offer and it's uh it's 
I don't know. It's kind of my thing. I'm I'm feeling personally fulfilled in doing it, and uh, I'm excited to see where I'll get my next turkey sandwich fit. So fix. So that's what I've been eating. Now as for what I've been playing, guys, uh, a lot more Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. I'm just I don't know. I'm enjoying. It. I'm, I'm I'm really getting into the zombies. I'm trying to watch the YouTube tutorials, learn all the secrets and Easter eggs, and kind of how to really work the map. So I've been doing some of that. The Nuketown map came out this week, so I've been playing a little more multiplayer. But the main game I've been playing is Yakuza Kiwami 2. So finally booted that up. I said, I want to play Like a Dragon, but I want to finish all the previous Yakuza games that are on Xbox first. So I, I beat Zero, I beat Kiwami 1, and now I'm playing Kiwami 2. So we're going to finish this up, and then we can play Like a Dragon, which is the new Series X game. I uh, gotta be honest, Kiwami 2, I didn't realize what a massive jump or leap forward it would be in terms of like just technical power and visuals and all that and gameplay mechanics from the earlier two Yakuza games I played because I thought all these games were remade around the same time. But man, Kiwami 2 has a lot of improvements. It, it's just a visually stunning game and running on the Series X, like it looks great, man. It's a quick resume title. When you got all the settings and the HDR and all that shit up, it, like it's a beautiful looking game. Like it looks noticeably way better than the last Yakuza game I played, which was released around the same fucking time. But man, on the Series X and and everything, it's, it, it looks and runs great. It's like kind of the first game I was able to test out Quick Resume on. And, and Quick Resume is kind of a feature I forgot about with the Series X because like I don't normally juggle too many games at once like that. But man, like I was a... Uh, one night I was like, I was watching YouTube and then I was like, okay, time to jump back in y Yakuza. And I just jumped over to Yakuza, not realizing that I had just suspended the game and the, from the night before. And it just immediately just jumped right back into where I left off and just flashed real quick, like, quick resume. And I'm like, holy fuck, I forgot this was even a feature. It was mind-blowing. how Because I was, like, fully prepared to, like, boot up the game, wait through, like, the opening credits or load screens and, and select, like, start new game or whatever, load file, whatever. All that shit. But man, I just, I clicked Yakuza and I was just in the game instantly. I was like right where I left off. The game was resume play, like nothing, nothing happened. It was like I was transported back to the night before when I was playing the game immediately. It was so instantaneous. And I was like, damn, that's a fucking badass feature. That's a feature that I think people just aren't giving enough attention to. But man, that was a, that was a cool, cool moment to experience that kind of organically in, in like a situation where it meant something. I wasn't trying to try out the feature. It just, it was there and available and it worked and that was really cool. Uh, but yeah, the game itself, it's more Yakuza. It's phenomenal. I love the writing. I love the characters. I love the world. It's just, uh, man, I, I wish I could get more people to just try Yakuza. I understand it's a really off-putting, like weird Japanese game, but man, like once you give it a try and you fall in love with it, you realize like that's its strong suit is how weird in Japanese it is. It's such a good series. I, I really love this franchise and I'm really glad that it came to Xbox and I gave it a try. And, you know, this is a Game Pass success story for me. You know, Yakuza is a franchise I would never try before, uh, but they brought it over to Xbox. It went into Game Pass. I had one of those days where I was like, ah, fuck it. And I'm glad I did because this is like one of my one of my favorite, like more recent game franchises I've discovered. And I'm, I'm really happy to be playing them. So Yakuza Kiwami 2. All right, and with that said, guys, I think we should jump into the news. We're now about an hour into the show. We got a decent amount of news to get through, so I'll be up pretty late tonight editing the podcast, but that's okay because tomorrow's a holiday and I'm off work and I can sleep in so that 
you know, I can stay up all night tonight getting this podcast out for all the good boys and girls. Eh, according to the statistics, it's just boys, all the good boys that listen to the show. Uh, and, and as a side note, if you know any females that might be interested in listening to the show, please, I am trying to get a more diverse listenership. Please, please, please. I don't really give a shit really if they're an Xbox gamer or not. Just it's just so embarrassing to look at my statistics and be like, really? 98% male. So please, I don't I don't give a shit. You know, just tell them it's a, uh, a podcast about I don't know what's something girls like. Um, yeah. All right, our first story of the week, big one. Here we go. From IGN, head of Xbox Phil Spencer says that he thinks Xbox will release a smart TV app used to play games with no console required, quote, in the next 12 months. In an interview with the with the Verge's uh, Decoder podcast, Spencer was asked uh, what was stopping Microsoft from releasing Xbox uh, as an app for smart TVs that um, meet a minimum hardware specification. The answer, it seems, is nothing. He says, quote, I think you're going to see that in the next 12 months, uh, I don't think anything is going to stop us from doing that, Spencer said. Spencer doesn't go into any specifics on the uh, mooted app, um, but we've previously heard that the Xbox exec discuss uh, the idea of Xbox as a streaming stick that could be used to stream games through xCloud after being plugged into a TV. These could even be made uh, part of the Xbox Game Pass subscription costs. Uh, it's not clear if Xbox is considering which approach to take or if it will take both, allowing those with higher power TVs to simply download an app and those with uh, without to use a plug-in solution. Spencer reiterates that he doesn't see streaming as the end of Microsoft's dedicated consoles, however, saying that, quote, I don't think these will be the last big piece of hardware that we ship. Instead, he sees... The future of Xbox is a hybrid of built-in computing power and streaming. He says, quote, when we think about xCloud, which is our version of Stadia or Luna, uh, I think what it needs to evolve to are games that actually run between a hybrid environment of the cloud and local computer capability, and that they can actually take full advantage of the cloud that's there and that's available, but also full advantage of my edge com- of my edge compute capability that I have in my home or in the console. It's really a hybrid between both of those. He later continued, quote, I don't think that the outcome is defined by going to be uh, everything becomes terminal server in my home and all my games are just running completely in the cloud. When we think about the evolution of our game platform, it's really more of a hybrid game platform between edge and cloud. And that's what we're shooting for. So Ben Treleving um, commented in actually, and I decided to put his comment here, but he writes in and says, I've just discovered and have been listening to the show on Google Podcasts and hats off to you it's a fantastic listen keep up the good work not got my hands on a series x yet not sure when the restock is coming back to england but for the time being i have purchased a, a moda moda controller to use with the x cloud beta on my note 20 ultra i have to say it's pretty awesome concept so i ask if game pass and x cloud really take off in the new generation could the series x be the last generation of xbox consoles well If we're supposed to take Phil Spencer literally, no, it absolutely won't be because that's basically what he's saying. But I think this is an interesting question to pair with this story because that's kind of been the question is it's like Microsoft is constantly racing towards this like most powerful console ever made thing. And right now that's where our heads are because Series X just just came out. But when we think about what Xbox has been doing for the past year and stuff outside of Series X, it's been xCloud, 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 playing games from the cloud. And it's kind of a conflicting message because it's like, why are we focusing on the most powerful console ever made 
if powerful consoles aren't even required to play these games because you can just stream shit to a phone, to a tablet, to a TV, to a whatever. And I think Spencer gets at that pretty nicely here, which is saying it's about options. It's about, you know, if you're the kind of guy who's a fucking specs buff and you just got to have the most low latency, high performance, fully specced out, best running version of a game, you can have a console, you can have a computer. But if you want to be the guy who just plays the game because you're casual and you don't want to buy a $500 box and invest in all these things, you can stream it. And that's the future of Xbox. So this isn't anything like groundbreaking because I feel like we've had this conversation so much before where Xbox as a modern platform is about you know offering you choice as to where and how you play your games rather than being like, oh, Xbox is this specific piece of hardware made by Microsoft that plays specific games. Whereas now, you know, it's like Xbox is this brand that can be found in a multitude of, of ways. You can get it on a computer, you can get it on a home console, you can stream it. Um, it has this service called Game Pass, which gives you access to all these games. And Microsoft also likes to buy a lot of companies and then let them release their shit on PlayStation. And, you know, that's kind of how we think of Xbox now. But, I mean, that's, that's really what this story is, is Phil Spencer reiterating all that. The interesting or new thing here is him basically saying like, yeah, we could have that streaming app or streaming stick for TVs out in the next 12 months. It's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like that's soon. That's a, that's almost like maybe too soon just for the fact that like right now, Microsoft's thing is like, Hey, we got these new consoles to sell. Let's push them. But if you've got this streaming stick out in 12 months, it's kind of like saying like focus off this new big flashy thing. And now here's this, this cheaper alternative to streaming. I feel like that's most detrimental to something like the Xbox Series X. So now we're getting to this position where it's like, there are so many different ways to play Xbox and they're all so conflicting because you think, okay, well, Series X is the console for people who are traditional, hardcore Xbox fans. Like if you're an Xbox guy through and through, you get a Series X because it's the biggest, baddest way to play the games. They look and run great and you have them there locally, right? Okay, so what's the Series S for? Okay, well, the Series S is for someone who wants to have a next-gen console but doesn't want to break the bank and doesn't necessarily give a shit about like, the absolute highest performance. They want something that looks and runs great, but it doesn't have to be the absolute maximum capacity of what we can do with computing. So, okay, so there's that, but the Xbox Series S does not have a disk drive. So clearly it's the Game Pass box. This is a foot in the door way to get quick and affordable access to Game Pass so you can just download all your games. But then it's like, okay, well then what's xCloud for if you can play it on TV? It's like, well, that's the even more affordable way for people to get games on their TV without, you know, spending a lot of money. It's like, well, you could argue that the benefit to Series S is it's for people in those parts of the world that don't have the greatest internet, right? Because, you know, game streaming is phenomenal and all that, but like, you know, you go to certain parts of the country, at least here in the States, right? And there's some really bad internet out there. So some people are like, hey, I'd love to be an xCloud user, but I, I need a console. My, you know, my internet's too bad for me to stream every game. It's like, okay, well then Series S is for someone like you. Uh, but then you go to someone else and they're like, uh, well, I actually have great internet. I just don't want to buy an Xbox. So it's like, okay, well, xCloud is great for you. So there's just all these different, like, it's an interesting thing to see how this will work out and how, if this will pay off because it's Microsoft splitting the market segment in so many ways. It's saying no matter what kind of customer are you are, where you live, how much you're into gaming, uh, what your specifications are, there's an Xbox solution for you. And that's really what this is. It's like, I, I, have, a, I have a problem. I, I, there's a need for video games and I need, I need Microsoft to 
address that video game thing. And they're like, okay, well, we have a solution for people with video game needs. We call it Xbox. What's your problem? We'll find this specific Xbox solution to your problem. It's kind of, it's almost like that's kind of like the way Xbox is being positioned at this point where it's like, okay, well, here's the situation. Uh, I live in uh, Wyoming and the internet is shit 90% of the time. Uh, I want a video game console uh, because I don't have a media device in my home, but I really want to play uh, Forza and um, fucking Viva Pinata back via backwards compatibility. And uh, my internet is good enough that I can download games, but I can't stream them. Uh, and also I want access to, I don't know, fucking like voodoo because I'm an idiot. And I think the Xbox series, uh, I, I think I need an Xbox solution. And Microsoft goes, okay, well, let's scan uh, the Series X. No, you're only playing Viva Pinata. Uh, I don't think you need um, a Series X. Uh, Project X Cloud. Oh, well, you said your internet's kind of shitty. Well, so let's not do the streaming app or stick. Oh, the, the Series S, that's the perfect solution. So you can download games. So, what you, you know, you still have to use the internet for that, but you won't need the internet to run the games and to play the games. And you can use the console for your multimedia purposes and needs and things like that. And it's like, okay, here's the Xbox for you. And that's kind of what we're at here, where there's just so many varieties and flavors of Xbox. The other thing I think, the only other thing that stands out to me in this story that's like, hmm, interesting, is Spencer's consistent usage of referring to the future of Xbox as a hybrid of built-in computer, uh, of of built, of inbuilt computing power and streaming. So this is an interesting thing, and I think what I'm about to say is heavily influenced by my interest in in cars in general. I'm I, I'm like a like moderate car guy. I don't know too much, but I enjoy cars and I keep up with them to an extent. I'm someone who's really into electric cars. I'm I'm definitely a Tesla fanboy. I'm super obsessed with the future of the automotive industry and going electric. And when I think of something like, you know, a 2020 Ford F-150 pickup truck that just burns gas and destroys the environment and gets like 12 miles per gallon, I'm like, well, that's 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 the past. That's like old, right? Like that's what we're trying to like evolve away from, right? And then you look at something like the Tesla Cybertruck and you're like, ah, oh, here, here we go. Like this is the future, man. It's all electric. You charge it up. It still has the same towing ca- uh, capability and the same utility of like a Ford F-150 pickup truck. But now it's electric. Now it's super cool. It's super sleek. It's super futuristic. It has a bunch of tech in it. It, it, it addresses all the needs and problems uh, or, or all the needs a pickup truck driver will have while also addressing all the problems of, of environmental and uh, concerns and just technological inaccurate or dated technology that we rely on from like gas powered engines and things like that. And that's how I think of like, you know, the difference between like a gas engine and an electric and en- a car. Um, but then you think of like a hybrid car, right? I think the word hybrid probably makes most people think of vehicles, even though hybrid is not a vehicle term by default. Um, and like, for example, I drive a hybrid right now. I drive this little Honda hybrid. And when I think of my hybrid, I think this is a stopgap. This is like a transitional solution. This is like, I have a gas powered car. I want an electric car, but A, electric cars are expensive. And B, electric cars aren't ubiquitous enough for you know, it to be a, a viable solution for me to ditch gas and go fully electric, you know, like the, the charging network that is just, isn't there to support it. Right. So you can, you can argue something like that. So a lot of people are in this position, this transitional period of like, I don't, I, I don't want to have a gas power car for long. I know it's not really the ideal solution going forward in the future, but an electric vehicle is just not viable for me today. So you have a hybrid. It is this 
while we work to get to the future, we have this solution. And so when I think of Phil Spencer, you know, that's a very specific example. And obviously, like I said, hybrid isn't a term that specifically means something about cars. But when I think about hybrid, I think about the automotive industry and I think about what hybrid means in the automotive world. And that's kind of what hybrid means. Like if you take a time machine 50 years into the future, people aren't going to be driving hybrid cars. People aren't going to be driving gas powered cars. They're going to be driving for the mass majority, electric vehicles, maybe something else. I don't know. Maybe they'll do hydrogen cell vehicles. I don't know. But more than likely, they'll be doing electric vehicles. That will be the standard in 50 years for sure, right? So people won't look at it then as like, oh, we need hybrid solutions for our vehicles in twenty in the year 2070. It's like, no, man, we use electric cars because we're not in the Stone Age. We don't fucking run fossil fuels in our cars like a bunch of dumb idiots, you know? That's how I think of that. So when, when I hear Spencer talk about Xbox is like this hybrid of solutions. I can't help but read that as, well, we're going to continue to make Xbox consoles because the ideal future is an an Xbox app or streaming service that's so good, regardless of where you live and what level of internet connectivity you have, that you get the ultimate gaming experience through this service and you don't need to buy a box. But because we're not there yet, it's 2020, it's not 2070, because we're not there yet, we're in that hybrid transition. So you can have the streaming, you could have the running it off an actual console, the locally run version, or you can have a hybrid of that. You can have, you know, streaming from your phone when you want it, but the console in your living room when you need it. So you can have these hybrid solutions, these transitional solutions, these in-between solutions until one day we get to the point where the internet is so good, cloud solutions are so good that no matter who you are, no matter where you live, Everyone can have amazing access to something like xCloud and it will run better than any game ever has ever period because latency doesn't exist and lag doesn't exist and poor internet connectivity doesn't exist because the future. And so I don't know. I can't read this as someone who has to be consciously mindful of the fact that the future is presumably out there, that if we don't blow up the world and kill ourselves soon enough, we might actually make it to the fucking future. And at that point, Technology might get to a point where the idea of having an Xbox Series X physical console may be obsolete. I don't know. And it seems like Phil Spencer, you know, while not saying that directly, is using the kind of talk that will inevitably sound dated, you know, in X amount of time because technology is going to continue to evolve and having a hybrid variety of solutions is a great fix in option for 2020, but I can't imagine that's going to be what people are saying in the year 2070, you know, like in 2070, we're just going to be like, yeah, well, you know, we were able to, um, cure cancer and stop people from dying in, uh, and, uh, reinforce bodies with this metal plating that makes it to where you can drive into a wall at 200 miles an hour and walk away from the accident clean of any damage. But what we haven't been able to solve in these past 50 years is, latency and lag and internet and internet connectivity when it comes to video game streaming to mobile devices and TVs. We just weren't able to come up with a solution. We even came up with time travel, but we just can't fucking figure out for the life of us how to get like zero latency game streaming. And obviously that's not, you know, that would be a marketing term, zero latency. Apparently latency is something that can never fully be addressed, but it's hard to believe that the the future goal, the 20, 30, 40 year plan isn't to one day get to a point where we don't have 
boxes anymore, where consumers don't need to go to brick and mortar stores and buy boxes, personal computing devices, where the solution is you have a device or a handful of universal devices like a phone or a, a, a computer in your pocket and a TV in your living room. And these devices are windows into all the other computing needs in the world thanks to the internet, thanks to cloud solutions. So again, it's just, it's hard for me to think that truly Xbox as a brand is just, or Xbox as a physical console is just here to stay forever. But at the same time, I really do think for the relatively, you know, long term, we're going to have it, you know, think of, again, to, to use hybrid cars as the example, again, like hybrid cars aren't brand new. We've had them, we've had hybrid cars on the road for over 20 years now. So it's taken us a long time to get to these futuristic phases. So if you're asking me, do you think there will be an Xbox physical console in five years? Yes. 10 years? Yes. 20 years? I don't know. 30 years? I don't know. I think that's the plan. And I don't know that's really revolutionary to say or to think about, but my guess is that's more in line with what the super long-term thought is. But for the most part, they're probably more so focused on five-year goals and not 30-year goals because that's probably how you actually run a business. I wouldn't actually know. All right, our next story here is that Fortnite is starting up a monthly subscription service with the arrival of Chapter 2 Season 5. Dubbed Fortnite Crew, players can sign up for $11.99 a month and gain access to unique perks and benefits beyond just purchasing a new battle pass every season. Fortnite Crew will launch on December 2nd, the same day as Season 5. As a monthly subscription, uh, the $11.99 cost will be reoccurring, but each month players will get a series of bonuses, including exclusives. Uh, subscription members will get Battle Pass for the full season, 1,000 V-Bucks each month. A monthly crew pack, subscribers will get exclusive uh, Fortnite crew packs each month that will always uh, include new outfit bundles. And the first outfit bundle is the Galaxia outfit, in style with a cosmetic llama corn pickaxe and fractured world back bling. I really wish that wasn't a sentence. Uh, Epic says that the crew pack will contain a new outfit and at least one accessory. And these items are exclusive to Fortnite crew subscribers. So this is a really interesting one. I don't have too much insight into this because again, I'm just not too finely, finely tuned into this kind of uh, part of the industry, but you know, from the talk has been that Fortnite, I don't, I want to be careful about how I say this, hasn't, hasn't fallen off the face of the earth. It's still a massively successful thing, but that Fortnite has started to wane and dip ever so slightly in terms of popularity, uh, over the past six months or however long it's been. And that, you know, Epic has been rumored for a little while now to be working on a subscription service as a kind of response to that saying, you know, Fortnite can't be as big as it's been forever. You know, at some point it's going to decrease in playership. So how do we address that? So I think this is an ideal solution. It's like, let's do a subscription service and see if we can get away with this. And this way, you know, they can, they can make more, it makes things, it keeps things profitable while not having to rely on retaining as, as many players, because it's just not tenable to assume you're going to have like 60, 80 million concurrent players or whatever fuck it is. Fortnite has uh, forever. So this makes sense. I think a general uh, battle pass season in Fortnite is usually like two and a half months or something like that, two to three months. So in in thinking with this subscription, now it's basically like you're buying the battle pass every month. You're getting extra perks to justify it financially, but it's almost like saying, you know, you know, now if only half the number of people are buying the battle pass, hypothetically, now we'll be getting 
you know, still like more money because it's like they're buying the battle pass every month in terms of money spent on the game rather than just buying a battle pass once every two or three months and then not spending money in the game until the next battle pass. So obviously the game is still free to play for other people and there's still other ways that they have the game monetized that they can make money without the subscription or the battle pass alone. But this is a, I don't know, this is an interesting step forward. It'll be, I'll be really curious to see how this continues to go to go. Cause if this is successful, you assume you see things like apex legends and such follow suit. Um, and if that's the case, I mean, I, I think that's, that's kind of the beginning of the end for this, uh, battle royale fad that we're in but i don't know call of duty already has something kind of like that where it's like where it's like the battle royale isn't making money just on being free to play with microtransactions they use warzone as an as a kind of thing as a as a chip to kind of get you engaged in call of duty so that you'll buy the game and now fortnite's kind of finding they're like where where can we make extra money here outside of the already established ways to monetize the game so I don't really have much to say about this other than we'll have to see how this shakes up, if it's successful, if they have to turn back on this. But interesting to see them actually going through with a subscription service for Fortnite. And uh, I don't know. Fuck it. I hope it hope it works out for them or whatever. Next up from IGN, Mike Laidlaw, the former creative director of Dragon Age, has established a new development studio alongside other industry veterans. Called Yellow Brick Games, the independent studio is located in Quebec City and aims to create original new games of high quality. Laidlaw is joined by Thomas uh, Gerux, uh, Jeff Skalowski, Skalski, and Frederick St. Laurent B., uh, meaning that the studio is comprised of EA, Bioware, and Ubisoft veterans with a body of work covering Dragon Age, Mass Effect, Watch Dogs, and Assassin's Creed. Laidlaw takes on the role of Chief Executive Officer, or chief creative officer, uh, while Skalski acts as the chief operating officer and uh, Guro uh, as chief executive officer. Frederick St. Lauren B., uh, meanwhile, will take the position of game director for the studio's first project. St. Lauren uh, was previously lead game designer for Assassin's Creed Syndicate at Ubisoft Quebec. The studio currently numbers 15 uh, staff members, uh, but is expected to grow in the coming months and years. The goal is to create an original game that will leverage the capabilities of next-generation gaming platforms, done so with a craftsmanship approach. To look back at Laidlaw's uh, credentials, he was lead designer on Dragon Age Origins and Dragon Age 2, and creative director of Dragon Age Inquisition. He was later at Bioware for 14. He was also at Bioware for 14 years, uh, where he worked on the Jade Empire and Mass Effect series. So, first of all, congrats to this team, and I wish you all the luck and success in the world with your new endeavors. And this is exciting, I think, for a lot of people because uh, it's fun to see these veterans and these really talented people break away from big names like Ubisoft and EA and go on to do their own thing. So it'll be really cool to see what they can come up with uh, without the big publisher interference especially because you know it's assumed that if you work at ubisoft ubisoft tells you everything's got to be a checkbox open world and if you work at ea they got to tell you you gotta you gotta make something that's better than destiny but it can't be destiny and also we're going to shut down your studio if it doesn't sell a bajillion units and get critical acclaim so it's nice to not have those pressures of those big big publishers down your throat if you're someone who's veteran and been in this industry for a long time and says hey i know how to make a game i know what i'm doing I just need these big guys to not breathe down my neck. So that's pretty cool and exciting. One of the things that really stood out to me here is the 
is how you know the other week they Bioware vaguely teased that next Mass Effect game is in development, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it's got like a, a veteran staff working on it." And then like this week, they're just like, "Oh yeah, here's some people who like veteran staff members from Mass Effect who are uh, leaving Bioware to work on this new studio." And I'm just like, "Okay, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about with Mass Effect." It's like they we don't know what the fuck they're doing with Mass Effect. It's like they got one or two key people and a bunch of new guys. Like Bioware, it's it's one of those things. It's like the Bungie today is not the Bungie that made halo 2 you know it's a different bungee it's like the, the the bioware that's making this new mass effect is not your mass effect 2 team so just uh get over that so i don't know that's that's like the first thing that stood out to me with this for some reason but also it's like you got all this dragon age talent speaking of bioware and it's like where's that new dragon age that was supposed to come out like two years ago like why are all these guys making a new studio bioware ea tell us what the fuck is up with with, with uh dragon age so that's also funny, but yeah, no, all the success in the world, I, this is, uh, I mean, man, just video game studios or developers just keep seeming to pop up all over Canada. Canada seems to be a really popping place uh, for video game development. If I'm not mistaken, it seems like a lot of provinces in Canada, a lot of a lot of cities in Canada um, have a lot of like tax incentives and benefits for, for video game companies. Actually, I know that's actually a pretty similar reason here where I live, why a lot of studios come to like the Southeast. A lot of these Southeast cities here in the U S also have like a lot of tax benefits and breaks for, you know, techie companies or game developers and stuff. So not totally surprising location, especially because it's pulling a lot of talent from pretty Canadian development studios. So yeah, all the luck in the world to yellow brick games, a little nod there to, uh, the wizard of Oz. And, uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on it and see what they cook up. Now, next up from IGN, uh, this is a good one for me because this uh, addresses something I've been talking about. Uh, The upcoming Xbox exclusive first-person shooter, Crossfire X, has been delayed to 2021. It was originally slated to launch sometime in 2020. Unsurprisingly, the delay is attributed to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic as the development team at Smilegate have faced challenges developing remotely, according to a recent tweet, which reads... After much deliberation and consideration of challenges faced by Smilegate development team due to COVID-19, we have made the difficult decision to delay the release of Crossfire X to 2021. Moving our release will allow us to deliver the Crossfire experience or console uh, um, on console our team is, has set out to create. We'll have more to share in the future. And then it's just signed the Crossfire X team. No one's specific. Now, the important thing to note here is, first of all, Crossfire is being developed uh, by Smilegate, the Korean developer uh, that makes the Crossfire series. The campaign is the exciting part that we've been waiting for more info on that's being developed by Remedy Entertainment, the guys who make Quantum Break and Control. So I was, I'm actually really bummed that this game is delayed because especially now that like I played Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War and I realize how much I kind of miss that Call of Duty-esque like like a war fighting FPS game. It makes me really want to play Crossfire X because I'm like, shit, well now I'm in the mood for like a really good kind of like military FPS game and I, I, I was looking for Crossfire X to be the game to give it to me, uh, especially because it's going to be all next gen and I love Remedy and all that. But I mean, this should come as no surprise that the game is pushed out to 2021, especially considering that it was supposed to be like a launch window game. And then, you know, the launch of the Xbox Series X came and Crossfire X was nowhere to be seen or heard. So if anything, I think the bigger thing here is just how long it took for them to get word of this delay out. And that's a little concerning. I don't know if that's just poor management on Smilegate's part. You know, maybe like being a Korean developer, maybe they're just, you know, 
I don't know, maybe they just have a hard time effectively communicating here in the West with their market, but that doesn't make sense exactly because I'm just, I don't, I don't know. It's a weird thing for that, that to be an issue, but yeah, I just, I don't understand what the issue is that it took them so long. Like this, this delay should have been announced in like October, September, August, you know, not damn near December, you know, way after the series X is launched. So this is weird and disappointing, but also like kind of obvious because I'd rather them come out and say, hey, the game's being just delayed than be like, hey, it's being canceled because <laughs> we just haven't heard anything from about the game in a long time. And that's a really weird and um, I don't know, just concerning situation to be in. So we'll have to keep our eyes on this one. Uh, unfortunate news. It just seems like, you know, everything that was supposed to come out around the launch of the Series X got delayed. The Medium, The Ascent, Crossfire X, all this shit. Halo Infinite, of course, really unfortunate shit. You know, if everything launched when and how it should have, the Xbox Series X would have had a pretty killer launch lineup. We would have had Halo Infinite, Crossfire X, The Medium, The Ascent, Second Extinction, I think was supposed to be like a launch error era game. Call of the Sea was supposed to be a launch era game or launch window game. So like all these games that just range from like small indie experiences to like story adventure experiences, to like first person shooters to open world to horror to top down like RPG twin stick shooting games, just like all these really varied games that would have been Xbox Series X exclusive and Xbox Series X optimized, you know, that we just didn't get all around the time we were supposed to get all these things just kept getting delayed. And so that's a really unfortunate situation for, for Xbox, but I mean, judging by console sales and everything and how hard it is to get your hands on a new console, it doesn't seem to have made much of a difference, I guess, uh, in terms of sales. All right, next up from IGN, Hitman developer IO Interactive has announced Project 007, a new James Bond game. Announced in a teaser trailer today, IO described the game as a wholly original Bond story in which players will step into the shows of one of the world's favorite secret agents to earn the 00 status in the very first Bond origin story. In active development for consoles and PC, Project uh, 007, a working title, will be created on IO's own Glacier engine, which was used for the recent Hitman games, although it's not clearly it's not clear exactly what kind of game Project 007 will be. But given IO's history with the stealth and espionage games, the studio's Hitman model seems like a potential close fit, especially because, you know, James Bond's a little spy guy. Uh, the point about this being the first James Bond origin story is slightly confusing, given that Casino Royale features Bond earning his 00 status, and there has been uh, a series of Young Blood books by, written by Charlie Higson. We've asked for clarification on that. That's IGN talking, not me. Uh, the game is being made in collaboration with Bond Movie Studios, MGM, and Eon Productions. No release date or actors have been announced at the time of this writing, uh, but it is true, as IOCEO says. Uh, his name is uh, Hakan Abrakan, uh, who says, It's it's true. Uh, once in a while, the stars do align in our industry. Uh, creating an original Bond game is a monumental undertaking. I truly believe that IO Interactive Working closely with our creative partners at Eon and MGM can deliver something extremely special for our players and communities. Our passion team uh, is excited to unleash their creativity creativity uh, into the iconic Bond universe and craft the most ambitious game in the history of our studio. So I don't have much to say about this because I'm not a big IO Interactive fan. I'm not a big Hitman fan. I'm not a big James Bond fan. But I will say this sounds like to me on paper that it has the potential to be to James Bond. Like... IO, the guys behind Hitman, working on James Bond, 
has the potential to make James Bond video games be what Rocksteady's Batman Arkham or Insomniac's Spider-Man did to superhero video games. So, you know, I mean, there have been plenty of James Bond games or 007 games in the past. Mostly the only super famous one or notable one is the rare developed GoldenEye for the N64. But even that game is more of like a time and place game. I know it's like one of those things. It's one of those like Nintendo things. It's one of those things for like millennials to be all cool about and like take a big drag from their cigarette and be like... Video games just aren't as good as uh, GoldenEye, man. When I was a kid, we played this shit all the time. It was such a good game. It's like, okay, that's that's fine and all, but, like, GoldenEye is actually a complete piece of shit. Like, that game is actually fucking awful. Like, you may have fond memories of it from being a child, but, like, you can't go back and play it. It's not like Mario 64. It's not like, wow, despite the N64 being a god-awful piece of hardware, like, Mario 64 mostly holds up. It's like, you can't say that about GoldenEye. Go back and play GoldenEye. You'll fucking want to blow your brains out, okay? It's it's awful. It's fucking awful, okay? And I only say that to say, like, you know, despite, you know, everyone wanting to remember that game so nostalgically and fondly, the reality is there haven't really been any good James Bond video games before. Kind of like how, for the most part, there were no seriously good superhero games, you know, for the most part, with rare exception, uh, until we got games like Batman Arkham or Spider-Man 2018 and things like that. So with IO Interactive being, you know, not like, no offense, but like, a, you know, like a turn and burn, like movie cash grab tie-in, Vicarious Visions, uh, Neversoft kind of Activision studio, but being more of like a deliberate and thoughtful studio that works on like super high quality AAA games like Hitman, I think there's a lot of potential for them to really take the time to make this game unique and special and cater the franchise to the pros and abilities of of console game or video games and make James Bond into a really compelling video game series. So I think there's some potential here. I think it's exciting. And I think, you know, going a little more of a stealthy route, which IO is more known for, is kind of a more appropriate thing for James Bond because it seems like James Bond games are usually a little more action-y, but I, I could be fucking wrong. I don't really play those games, to be honest. But yeah, I don't know. I, I like the idea of this. I'm excited to see, not as someone who's excited to play the game, but as someone who's excited to see if this takes off and becomes a thing. I'm excited to see what IO does with it. Also, I just want to see IO succeed um, because they're a really good developer. And I know people really love the Hitman games. I, I personally don't care for them. My girlfriend's actually obsessed with them. She loves Hitman. But it seems like IO just hasn't been able to find the financial success with Hitman in recent years, despite the fact that those games are really critically beloved and really well polished and designed so it'd just be nice to see them have a really big property and and knock it out the park so i'm I'm rooting for them on that one and then one of our our penultimate story of the week here guys this is one that actually went up like literally right at this ign posted this story four minutes after the podcast went live last week that's that's how close i was to, to to um not missing it but yeah um so capcom confirmed uh last week that It was the victim of a customized ransom attack that led to an unauthorized access to its network. Capcom says that Capcom says that corporate employee and customer information uh, may have been compromised by the attack. Subsequently, uh, materials from those leaks have been released onto the internet. While unable to verify them all, sources close to Capcom have told IGN that many are genuine leaks. 
As more information from the leaked data packages continue to trickle out, Capcom's alleged game development plans for the next four years ha- have appeared to make their way online. The, sk- the schedule includes a mix of sequel games and remakes, while others are listed under their code names. So here's a list of the biggest names listed in the purported schedule from that data leak. They are as follows. Resident Evil Outrage, which is for quarter four fiscal year 2021. Dragon's Dogma 2, quarter two year 2022. Uh, Street Fighter 6, quarter three uh, 2022. Rockman, Mega Man North America uh, match game, uh, quarter three fiscal year 2022. Resident Evil 4 Remake, quarter four 2022. Monster Hunter 6, quarter two fiscal year 2023. Biohazard Apocalypse, which is Resident Evil, uh, quarter three, 2023. SSF6, quarter four, 2023. Final Fight Remake, quarter two, 2024. Power Stone Remake, quarter three, 2024. Ultra SF6, quarter four, 2024. And Resident Evil Hank, quarter four, 2024. Whatever the hell. (laughs) I think Resident Evil Hank is easily the best one there. Um... I immediately just think of that as like a King of the Hill, Resident Evil, like the TV show King of the Hill, like Hank Hill meets Resident Evil, and I would play the fuck out of that game. So sources confirmed to IGN that some of the games included in the list are legitimate, including Dragon's Dogma 2 and Street Fighter 6, but could potentially be out of date. Many other games revealed in the leak are listed under code names. Capcom detected the ransomware attacks in the early morning hours of November 2nd. The attacks destroy, uh, destroyed and encrypted data on Capcom servers uh, and criminal organization Ranger Locker, uh, sorry, Ragnar Locker, um, messaged the companies demanding a money uh, ransom for the compromised information. Capcom says it will continue coordinating with law enforcement in Japan and in the U.S., and it's still gauging the overall damage caused by the attack, but they also have reassured customers that its online services, website, and games are safe to access. So this is a two-part story here because, first of all, this is just like a really shitty story all around because it sucks for Capcom big time. I'm sorry to Capcom and all the creatives and the hard workers at Capcom who have poured all this hard work into all these games and all these surprises, which have just inevitably been leaked. But also... This is just a scary situation because, you know, first and foremost, the employees and all the people who've had personal data compromised, uh, you know, they're at risk now for having that information compromised. And it's it's terrifying to have that some of that information just out there in the wild. This is everything from like employee records, to like HR records to like, you know, like things about like, I don't know, workplace kerfuffles and stuff, just like notes about these kinds of things being out in the public, like. Uh, records on like employees and and their personalities or whatever their work ethic and shit just like being public information it's just uh, it's just a weird thought to have that out there and real big like just thoughts out to the the staff and the people who've had their personal information and data compromised because that's that's the bigger thing here and the sadder thing but hopefully you know for the most part that doesn't uh really result in anything happening of negative consequence um, the other more pertinent to the video game side of things kind of information here is, of course, basically all of Capcom's planned releases for the Xbox Series X PS5 generation have just been leaked. And of course, some of this will change. Some of these games will change. New games will probably get announced. Not all of this is 100%, but if this information is to be believed, which sources are telling IGN a lot of it is legit, it's really sad to think that, you know, it's like, like, this is a great lineup of games here. And um, now just, you know, assumedly 
all these surprises are just going to be totally just robbed from people. So that's, you know, that's going to hurt Capcom. That's going to hurt the fans. It's going to just hurt everyone, the creators. And now it's like, you know, it, it just sucks to think that like next year at E3, they'll be like, oh yeah, introducing Resident Evil Outrage or Dragon's Dogma 2. Everyone's like, yeah, we know. And then like 2023, they're like, did we mention Monster Hunter 6 and Biohazard Apocalypse? And they're like, yeah, 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 we knew about that. And, and then they're like, okay, it's 2024. Are you guys ready for a remake of Final Fight and Power Stone? And everyone's like, uh, it's like, you know, this is like something that's going to haunt them for the whole generation. That totally fucking sucks. That's the worst way to roll out the red carpet for the next generation. It's like, yeah, everything we have planned for these new consoles is basically leaked and out there. So it sucks. Uh, I mean, the only bright side here is that we're going to get Resident Evil Hank Hill Edition. But, I mean, all joking aside, like, this is a really unfortunate situation. So, I just want to bring this up, one, because, well, it's out there, so I guess we should talk about it. There's no stopping it now. And two, fuck you to the people who leaked that data. And three, I'm damn excited to play as Bobby Hill in a, in a Resident Evil video game. All right. Our final wrap-up story of the week is... Um, Back onto Avengers, Marvel's Avengers, which we talked about the other week. So, according to I, uh, an article on IGN, uh, Marvel's Avengers sales have been lower than expected, and the game hasn't even recouped its development costs yet, leading to an estimated seven billion yen, or sixty-seven million U.S. dollars, in operating loss at Square Enix's HD uh, game segment during its last financial quarter. Uh, the company president uh, Yosuke Matsude. Uh, explained in a newly translated um, results briefing that, quote, sales of Marvel's Avengers were lower than we had expected and unable to uh, completely offset the um, amortization of the game's development costs. Uh, games analyst David Gibson previously explained that the company sold 60% of its planned units and that the number uh, the numbers implemented um, that the game cost around $100 million to make. That's actually a little cheaper than I thought it would be. I thought I, I was expecting it to be like 140, 150. Uh, responding to an investor's question on the subject, uh, Matsuda clarified that uh, uh, had Avengers not been released in this quarter, the company would have made a profit. That comes down to both development and marketing costs. Quote, in addition uh, to amortization uh, of the game's development costs, uh, another significant factor associated with the title was the fact that we undertook a major advertisement campaign at the time of its launch to make up for the delays in our marketing efforts resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic. There is certainly an amount of development costs still to be um, still to be amortized, amortized in quarter three, but we want to recoup it by growing our sales and going, f going forward. I've never heard that word. I need to look that word up. Masuda doesn't offer concrete plans but it said that it hopes that in up that updates will help drive new sales saying quote we hope to make up for slow initial sales by offering uh, ample additional content to grow our sales last week crystal dynamics the developer of the game announced that a december release date for its first post-launch hero and campaign announced another and potentially tease other heroes to come beyond that so yeah this is really this is really sad at this point because I like Crystal Dynamics. I like Square Enix. I want to see them all succeed and do well. And um, it's just sad to see how, how poorly this game has performed and, and just uh, the fact that they've lost so much money on it, which is just crazy, you know. Uh, as a side note, it's Emirates, which is gradually right off the initial cost. So the word is amortize. So I was, I, was, uh, I was definitely pronouncing that wrong. The word... 
amortize is to gradually write off the initial cost of an asset. Okay, that makes sense in this context. Okay, now we know. L learned a new word today. I hope you all did too. A amortize. Yeah, so this is just um, overall, man, like like I'm saying, I mean, we, we talked about this extensively, so I won't dwell on it too long, but it's just a really shitty situation here that you would think, you know, such a surefire IP, clearly this would have just done its work for it for them but what this really tells me especially with them saying like the big marketing campaign and that last push due to covid and everything really put them over the top uh for making this such an expensive game to make really tells me that like all of this problem could have been avoided if they had just taken this ip and made a really tight 14 hour single player story driven avengers game they could have made something way more easy to wrap your head around way easier to develop and takes less time and less money and less effort to develop. And they could have focused on really all the, the best aspects of the game and just made a really compelling story and Avengers experience rather than making this big, expansive, shared world, persistent game that just ended up being like this super overdeveloped, super long to come out, overly marketed mess that just didn't even turn a profit. So it's really sad to see that. Like, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what else to say. Just uh, that's that's a, that's one of the crazy stories of the year, in my opinion. And uh, man, I just I guess we'll continue to follow up, but hopefully they're able to turn that around. Maybe they'll have a Destiny Taking King like experience where the game will get a second wave of love and they'll be able to make right on law wrongdoing associated with the game. But man, that, that game just should have never been a sure a shared world experience. All right, that's going to do it for all of our big stories of the week, guys. But we do still have the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion. So there's a couple of those to rattle off. We'll just run through them real quick. First of all, a standalone version of Red Dead Online has been announced. So players can take part in the online game without purchasing Red Dead Redemption 2. It will normally cost... It will normally cost 20 bucks, but will be discounted for, to just 5 bucks. uh on uh, from the launch date until february 15th so it'll come out on december 1st and through february 15th you can just get it for five bucks after that it'll go up to 20 but yeah you'll just be able to download red dead online without red dead redemption 2 that way if you're someone who wants to play the less fun part of red dead 2 you can do that next metro series developer 4a games confirmed that the 2019 shooter metro exodus is going to receive a free next gen update on xbox series x series s ps5 we don't have exact details on it right now, but the update will include faster load times, higher frame rates, increased resolution, and ray tracing. All the basics, all the all the expected accoutrements. Next, fans of Mojang Studios' co-op-focused ARPG Minecraft spin-off Minecraft Dungeons are looking forward to the future with the next expansion of Minecraft Dungeons, the Howling Peaks DLC, which is now uh, set to release on December 9th. Minecraft Dungeons next DLC will add new uh, mountainous areas filled with unique wind-based uh, bad guys, a terrifying new boss, loads of gear, puzzles, and all that shit. Next, Ubisoft has announced that Watch Dogs Legion's online mode has been delayed to early 2021 to launch the, um, the team to focus on fixing the technical issues players have been experiencing since launch. So to work on the actual game, uh, the online component has been delayed. Next, Bethesda has launched the Fallout 76 Steel Dawn update early after a glitch allowed Xbox players to download it 
uh, ahead of schedule. And a post on the Fallout blog, I don't think that was a glitch. I think that was an example of Bethesda games being better, best, or first on Xbox. That's what I think that was. Uh, in a post on the Fallout blog, Bethesda explained that the Steel Dawn update was originally scheduled to go out December 1st across all platforms, but the Brotherhood of Steel-themed expansion is available now for all platforms following the mistake. And then uh, let's wrap it up here. We got two more. Outer Wilds and um, Sayonara Wild Hearts publisher Annapurna Interactive have confirmed that three of its planned 2020 games have slipped to 2021. Shocker. We're pretty much at the end of the year. Uh, the Artful Escape 12 Minutes and Last Stop will now launch in 2021 instead of the broad 2020 release window that was initially planned. Publisher revealed via Twitter saying, quote, We're looking at 2021 now as we they all get closer to getting ready. The tweet reads, They've all come together throughout the year and it's pretty much polishing at this point. And then finally, Studio MDHR have announced that the delicious Last Course DLC for Cuphead has unfortunately been delayed until sometime in 2021. In a statement published on Studio MDHR's Twitter account, head developer shared that they aren't content. In a statement published on Studio MDHR's Twitter account, the developers shared that they they expect the content for this final chapter to be uh, to not be anything less than the best work they've produced. And as such, the studio has made the difficult decision to delay the content. So lots of little delays there. Lots of games getting delayed. Lots of things we're not going to play for a while because. COVID, but that's okay. We got our new consoles. We got Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. We got Master Chief Collection. We got what we need, and we'll just we'll just be patient, okay? But that's going to do it for all the news this week, guys. Thanks for bearing with us. Remember, every week, the Xbox Wire releases a list of the new games coming out for the week. And this week, there are 11 new games to go over, so I would like to go over those games with you right now, real quick, as we get a, a quickly approach this two-hour podcast. Uh, so yeah, new games you can look forward to on the Xbox this week. We'll blast through them. There's 11 new ones. We got Mad Tower Tycoon, which is a game where you play as a tornado and try to destroy towers. That's awesome. BFF or Die is a game where you take friendship way too seriously and you tell someone that if they're not your best friend, uh, they can't be your friend at all. And in fact, you'll kill them if they don't be your BFF. That's not Xbox One X Enhanced. Get Over Here is a game. It looks like a sports game, but it just sounds like parents yelling at kids. Landflix Odyssey is this game where you play as uh, some some Amish dude who's in the mines of avoiding the guy with a spear. And then More Dark is a game with a 2D art style. It's got uh, 60 lives, and if you snooze, you lose. My Aunt is a Witch is a game where you play as this anime girl with big boobies, and hopefully she's not a witch. Out of Space Couch Edition comes out November 25th. And it looks like a top-down kind of nerdy game. And then Seeds of Resilience comes out November 25th. It looks like one of those games where you make the world and then you have the villagers and you can pick them up and put them in the water and watch them drown. And then Strike Force 2 comes out on uh, November 25th. And that is a game with a sniper rifle and fucking hate snipers so much in Call of Duty. Tesla Force uh, comes out November 25th and you shoot monsters in it, so that'll be a lot of fun. It's optimized for the Series X, but it looks like a pretty cheap, shitty game. And then Tawaga Among Shadows comes out on the 25th. That is some kind of uh, game with beams of light where you shoot shadows in darkness, uh, which, yeah, that, I got nothing funny to say this week. That's just, that's literally the game's coming out. So that's it for those guys. Games with Gold, as a final reminder for November, if you haven't already downloaded them, guys, remember, you got uh, Origami Shadow Edition for the rest of the month. Until December 15th, you got Swim Sanity, uh, and you got Lego Indiana Jones uh, on 360 until November 30th. But we've also got our December games announced now. So for Games with Gold in December, 
uh, you can look forward to the following. on From December 1st, 1st through 31st, we've got The Raven Remastered. From December 16th through January 15th, you got Bleed 2. Uh, from December 1st through 15th, you've got Saints Row, Get Out of Hell. And from December 16th through 31st, you've got Stacking which is a backwards compatibility Xbox 360 title. Uh, Saints Row Get Out of Hell is the only one that I, I see here. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. Uh, but The Raven Remastered, I'm, I don't even know what that is. So who fucking knows? But those are the games you can download. It looks like Games with Gold has been a little lackluster uh, for the most part this year, if I'm going to be super honest, but whatever. Um, but that's going to do it for our show this week, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I leave you this week with a little bit of a treat. Uh, listener, you may recognize his name, um, Count Scotula. Uh, I was talking to him this week on Twitter. Turns out he used to be in a band when he was younger, and uh, they used to put out some music. So I told him, hey, you got to share some of your songs with me so we can play them on the show. So keep in mind, these are older songs from back in the day. These aren't current tracks. These are from a much younger, leaner Count Scotula, perhaps a Count Scotula that that favored the Popeye's chicken sandwich over the Chick-fil-A sandwich, despite the fact that Popeye's didn't have a Chick-fil-A sandwich back in those days. Who knows? Um, but Count Scotula, he was a, we were, we were going to talking. He looks like he's into some pretty good music. He likes the emo, the post hardcore, the pop punk kind of bullshit that I, that I've always been into. So I'm excited to share his, his old band's music with you. And also it's just really exciting. Cause it looks like uh, Count Scotula when he was a, a younger lad, when he was in the music scene, used to actually play with some pretty awesome notable bands. So this is, uh, so yeah, Count Scotty says th- these uh, songs were recorded in the early 2000s when he was still in high school and that his band name was called uh, Huxley, but they changed their name to Corbel, uh, the Corbel towards the end of their, of their music career. He said that they had a small record deal and toured around from 2003 to 2007. And we're lucky enough to get to play with some of the awesome bands from back then, like yellow card, which is my favorite band of all time. The used something corporate, this Providence starting line, alkaline trio armor for sleep. Hello. Goodbye. These are like a lot of the fucking bands I grew up listening to. So that's to me, that's so awesome. So I'm super excited to get to share with you guys. Uh, some of count Scott music from his old band, the Corbel. Uh, and hope you guys enjoy that. If you do, feel free to shout out Count Scotula and his uh, his awesome old band's music. Otherwise, guys, that's going to do it for our, our show this week. Thank you all so much for listening, as always. And remember, for next time, power your dreams.
Big Spot.